Excuse me, we need to talk. Hello everybody, my name is Jeremy Franchese and you are listening to First Floor Conversations. If you're new, welcome, let me get you up to speed. In the last two years, I've sat down with some of the most impressive people in the world, all industries, all levels of success. And what we know more than truth itself is that anything can look good in a small enough window of time. So on this show, we're here to have conversations that fuel long-standing, sustainable impact, business, finance, wellness, life as a whole. Because after all, the view at the top is only as good as the foundation which preserves it. Welcome to First Floor Conversations. Uh, today in episode 72, we are joined by Megan Newhouse. Megan's the CEO and co-founder of Inspirant Group, uh, which she would describe as an unconsulting firm, which uh, we'll talk about in a bit. But they focus on helping companies of all size along people, process, and technology to create vibrant culture, as well as sustainably produce business outcomes. And so um, outside of running Inspirant Group, uh, Meg's an official member of the Forbes Business Council. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you co-run with your husband, uh, Colette Allen Charities, um, where you apply the training and education to help at the individual level increase quality of life. And so, Meg, welcome to the show. How are you? How's today? Thanks, Jeremy. Uh, doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation. I, uh, I appreciate you carving out some time. And so, um, hey, for everybody else, uh, whether you're tuning in video or you listen audio, uh, hope you're doing well. Appreciate you stopping by. Um, and uh, look, we, we've uh, we've restructured a couple things. So, so to get up to speed, one, I hope everybody liked the new intro. Steph and I have been working hard on the front end uh, to kind of recompose things, rebuild some things while we launched other shows. But if you're here, you're either a young professional, business owner, you're in an environment where you're looking for a conversation that ends with something actionable, something insightful beyond the the, the fluff commentary of, you know, we were in the basement and now we're a billion dollar company and distill it into something that's a little more actionable. And, and to set a little bit of the stage, um, I reached out to, to Meg to ask if she would join because I, I follow a lot of people and I, I see a lot of content and I just, I felt a lot of your content, Meg, was not just authentic, but it was unpretentious. It was genuine. And you were focused on actually helping people and not just putting a microphone up to your voice. And um, I, when I reached out, it was like, I really think that based on what you do, we could have a fun conversation. Um, but I also think we can do it in a way that leaves with some actionable insights for people to take away with. So I just want to say thank you on your end. But um, let's let's start with a little bit of a foundation. Um, why don't we go through some of the basics of just really like where you're from, where you are today, and then I'll kind of walk us through the rest of it. Yeah, you got it. So I mean, thank you. It was so fun to have you reach out. I can't tell you how many friends I've made over LinkedIn starting with the pandemic. I feel like it was, you know, people like us were just looking to connect. So when you reached out, I was like, yeah, this sounds great. Um, excited. And I love like the miss mission of this podcast. So I'm I'm thrilled to be a part of it. So um, I live in the Chicago area. I've lived in Illinois my entire life. I've traveled the world, but Chicago is always going to be home for me for sure. Um, raised by a single mom and uh, she had to work to support us. She had no choice. And she was not, I wouldn't say she was like living her dream <laughs> by any means. So um, I think that really formed me as a child. I always thought, you know, if you're going to spend so much time working, I think you should enjoy it. I think you should really have fun with it. So I think that got ingrained with me somewhere. I always wanted to help people. I was always a helpful person. Um, I thought I was a psych major in undergrad and I thought I would be a psychologist. I wanted to have my own practice. Um, and help people in that way. I have to tell you, Jeremy, I lived in the sorority house for a couple of years 
And I, I guess I'm a good listener because I'd have people come in. We had a purple futon in our room and people come in, lay on the purple foo, tell me what's going on and then leave. And I would just like take all of that in. And I think that was my first experience with like empathy and, and actually feeling other people's feelings. And I realized quickly, I couldn't do that for my living. I couldn't do that every day. I don't think I'd be able to survive that. So um, I found human resources, the, the psychology of business. And um, I had always liked writing. So I ended up being an instructional designer. And that's where I started my career. I was in IT and I turned the ones and zeros into end user materials to help people understand how to do their jobs better and feel more successful. And then, then I got to like thinking about, well, wait, work should be fun. I can help make work easier, I think, through this training. So that's kind of how my career progressed. And through that, I, I discovered leadership development and, and really the importance of a good leader for how people experience work. I would do manager trainings and being like, do you guys realize you could be the difference between someone having a good day and a bad day? Like someone looking forward to coming in and doing their job or someone, you know, going home and like yelling at their family because their day sucked. You know, I mean, there's a lot of pressure. And so not everyone should be a people leader. And if you're going to be a people leader, you should learn how to do it the right way. And then I had the great fortune to start my own company and create my own culture and create a culture of people who care about people and look out for people and want to create that for others. Love it. So, so let's give some clarity as to like, what is the Insprint group? And, and then we'll kind of work our way backwards because I do think it's interesting, right? That from the, the, the bachelor, like the BS you got in psych to applying it to, uh, then you grabbed your master's in, in education, but the way you kind of had your specialty, I thought was interesting. Now I was going to ask you about that. It makes sense that you looked at, um, um, that other route, but, um, I think when we look at a lot of management, it, it's, it's very focused on, strategy, but it's absent people, if that makes sense. Like it's, they're, they're reading the book and they're trying to apply this, but they're forgetting that, you know, like, you know, we just had a couple of conversations around like, you know, if the client's always first and the people have to come first because they're the ones that deliver for the client. Right. And so how you build that dynamic, but let's get up to speed a little bit on just what the organization does today. So we can make sense of how, where we're at today. And then we can kind of build from there. Sure. Um, so Insprint Group is almost five years old. I'm one of the co-founders. I have two partners. I know. <laughs> what? Uh, January, right? And we survived uh, the, the, the pandemic and it's been quite a journey, which I don't know if we'll get into. Sounds here. like you guys have been crushing it since the pandemic. Like, you know, we'll, we'll touch on a couple things, um, but so, so right now it's people, process, technology, it's consulting. What's the framework? Like, how do you guys get involved? So, right, uh, the, the, I guess the buzzword is digital transformation, but we just think about it as transformation, as you said, in process, people in tech. That's the order I like to say it in, because that's the order I like to do it in. You want to optimize your process. Uh, you want to make sure you have the right people in the right seats, and then you see what sort of tech is available to help support your solutions. Um, but yeah, we, you know, we help all size businesses. I really like the big, like the Fortune, you know, 200s where there's a lot of chaos, there's a lot of bureaucracy, there's a lot of bloated processes. And um, let's make sure everything's just more like efficient, streamlined. Work should be fun. I will say that over and over again. I think work should be fun. I think you should wake up in the morning feeling fulfilled, like you're doing something that's making a difference and providing value. So if it's not that, let's fix it. And that's what we're here about. And we're, you know, we call ourselves unconsultants. Um, we are all recovering consultants from some of the bigger organizations and just saw a way that we could do it differently. People first all the time, both internally and working with our clients um, and just trying to provide the most value to everybody. So 
break down for me this state of consulting, right? So you started your career after you finished up the master's. You spent shy of a decade in the legal industry, right? Doing consulting, which looked to be like you were working with organizations to do the same training, development, find ways to improve, create efficiency. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounded like you were still getting involved from a standpoint of trying to figure out how to make companies and organizations run better, right? Is that, is that correct? Like clean, clean that up for me. So I'm not making assumptions. No, no problem. So my, right out of school, I had a, a couple odd jobs, but yes, I did land in the legal industry. I was in-house though. So I'd say I, I consulted internally, but I was in the IT department. I was always what I would say, the user advocate. So, you know, talking to like developers, talking to hardware, talking to, you know, anybody who would listen that like, but how does the end user actually use this? And when we're rolling this out, what other things do they have going on in their lives? Like, are we just one of seven implementations that are going on? And does this really like impact their days and their livelihoods? Like, let's really think about what we're doing to people. Um, so that translated then I went into, um, I worked for a big four for, for a cup of coffee, as I would say, I wasn't there too long. And um, in my time there, I realized that I did want to go help people with the knowledge that I had um, brought in through that experience. And then I did start more of that traditional consulting, but I, I went out on my own, you know, before Inspirant. So this is my second startup. Um, and I started in that kind of IT training piece, still being that user advocate, but that's when I discovered the bigger world of like leadership development and executive coaching and starting from the top down, you know, with your values and your mission and vision. Love it. So, so it makes perfect sense. I, the user advocate makes a lot of sense. The, you're almost at now, now at this point, you're the people's advocate, right? Like, yeah. you, you know, yeah. And that's, I think one of the things we talk a lot about even internally, but with, with like, and we always explain marketing is a culture, not a strategy, right? Yeah. Um, and it's like people either understand how they participate in the big picture or they don't, but they don't care the strategy you apply. They just know how it feels. Like if you drill everything down to like the website's not loading fast, they don't care that it was a design. It loads slow in their mind. It's something's broken, right? So, so I think we're at a point where people are more or less impatient and justifiably so. They want what they want when they want. We're in an on-demand curation type of a world. So there, there's in some sense less empathy to the the you know the the time it takes to make change, mm -hmm. right? Talk me a little bit about the state of, of consulting, right? I mean, you've, again, you've spent time in some large organizations where they look at you and um, at large, I mean, you're called on to say, we need help improving, solving, addressing something. Can you provide insight, judgment, experience, perspective, and figure out how to find forward, right? Like why, you know, when we look at it, like what was the state of the industry when you realized you're like, I think there needs to be a different, which we'll, we'll hit in a second, the unconsulting, right? What was it that kind of resonated with you that you're like, we need something different here. This doesn't work. So I think um, there's, there's like a saying around consultants, like, uh, let me borrow your watch and I'll tell you the time. Um, you know, uh, you'll have people come in to do discovery and then they'll just regurgitate everything that the client said on like a 300 slide deck and charge them a million dollars for it. You know, I'm being, I'm being facetious, but you know, I mean that if you work sometimes with, um, some organizations that can happen, you know, we just want to make work easier. Have I said that already? Um, so hiring in external help, you're doing that for a reason. You're looking out to the market to bring people into help for a reason. Maybe you don't have the skill set on your team. Maybe you don't even know where to start. You know something needs to change, but you, you don't know where to go to do that. So I think like going out to hire in, uh, external consultants, um, there is, you know, some of the bigger organizations have like standard frameworks that they'll come in and apply 
but you know, you said it yourself, like everything is, is kind of like hyper-personalized now, you know, so like, it's not a one size fits all. So even though there are there these frameworks that likely do work to some extent, they're still not super bespoke or customized or personalized, which everyone is looking for right now, both on the macro and the micro level. Um, so, you know, we, we don't have like a standard set of frameworks or, or slide decks or anything. We really don't, maybe we should, but we have, everything is just so customized and bespoke to the unique individual needs that people have. And that's when we're facing our clients. So, you know, we don't charge exorbitant rates. We um, really meet people where they are, give them what they need. It's not like we're kind of trying to come in and sell anything. We really are just trying to add value. Um, so if, if we come in and we're like, we can't help you, we're not going to say, oh yes, we do that. Um, or, you know, we aren't going to try to sell some sort of technology because we're in a partnership with this organization. Um, if they have something that we can help make work better, you don't need to invest in something else. Um, and then on the internal side, everything's pretty flat at Insprint Group. So again, at more traditional consulting organizations, there is definitely a hierarchy. Hierarchy, you have to spend a certain number of years and do a certain number of things to make it to the next level. We just don't work like that. I mean, and, and we're startups, so you know we're very scrappy, entrepreneurial, but we just did um, like a Shark Tank pitch for our team. So we haven't taken any sort of outside funding. We're all bootstrapped. Um, I have two partners, myself and my two partners were like, well, we want to reinvest in our people. So pitch us. What, what do you want to do? Where do you see Insprint going next year? And how can we help you? And that was really cool. So people are coming to us with new service line ideas, new market ideas, product ideas. And we're like, yeah, that's great. Let's do it. So um, I think that's a little bit different as well. Like all of everything's not funneling upward. You know, it's a very um, equitable yeah. setup. Yeah. I, I love that idea. Well, it's also it's practicing what you preach, right? If you, you know, it's not that you can't take the funding. I know you guys made an acquisition early 2020. So it's not that you can't grow through other ways, but there is an element of if you're there to build a vibrant community around your people, that's one of the most creative ways I've heard of a company growing. And also a lot of respect to you bootstrapping the business, you know, like my team knows this, like I sold my tail off for five years in, in a fortune 500 company. So I could save enough to build this without taking capital and, mm -hmm live off savings long enough to fund the company. And, you know, from a standpoint of the, you know, if you see a path forward and you're able to be patient enough and you're able to put yourself in a position to not answer to other people, people in a sense where you can take those risks and be creative. I always joke around in big companies, especially in sales, you know, the difference between being creative and distracted is if you're already above or below your number, mm. right? Like, wow. you know, early in my career, I put out a video when COVID hit immediately you know, and it created, you know, fifty, hundred thousand dollars in revenue because I just, I was in a ratty t-shirt and I just said, look, we don't have all the answers, but I'm here. Every email I send you, it's me. And I want you to know, this is where we're at. And it was just like really honest. And, and from that dynamic, and I got a call, you know, a couple hours later, Hey, I saw your video it made me think of something. I need to introduce you to a client. And then it converted. And it was one of those things that because I already hit my, my pin, nobody cared. Right. Oh, that's so interesting. But if I was below, it would be like, ah, that's a risk. Right. And so, yeah, so it's, an odd, it's an odd dynamic, right? But you, you touched on one thing Maggie, that I thought was interesting, which is your, the ability to be, give unbiased advice when consulting, right? I talk a ton about this when, when, you know, we have another show, the marketing water cooler podcast, where we talk about like attribution software and how like the marketing technology industry basically built the framework for today's marketing. But like, so, so now it's like, we need this super expensive software which now forces us to justify email open rates when in reality, like that's not, now your whole thing is built on justifying the software spend instead of understanding how do our people consume information, process information and buy things. 
Oh my but gosh. Because Gartner's putting out the study. It's because like, you know, it's, it's Marketo is doing the, 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 the analysis. It's like, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm saying if that, like, it's just logic, right? If they're selling software and the data justifies buying the software, then your whole thing is based on, I guess we need to buy the software. Yeah. No, software should make it move faster. It should make it better. It shouldn't be the strategy, right? A lot of time contemplating the evolution of corporate America. I really do. And I don't, I, I haven't quite dug out where it came where like technology was the answer like who who was that marketing genius that was like hey if you buy this it'll fix fix all your problems because I have literally never seen that I have been in tech for most of my career yeah. and I've never once seen a technology off the shelf that fixes everything a company needs no. you can customize the heck out of it and maybe you'll get a little bit closer but no yes. I mean technology is not the answer it's a support for if you have optimized processes and the right people doing right. the job, it's just a support, just like you were saying. <laughs> it's, well, and it makes it tough because you're choking on a massive expense. And now you have to justify that to your board saying, hey, we're going to spend five, you're going to spend so much money in the software. And 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 then all of a sudden, and then the implementation makes you feel this false sense of productivity. Your new hire onboarding is now teaching them to use this tool that they actually don't really need, right? And it's like, well, they'll get up and running. And so when you have turnover and it costs 30, 40% of salary, this just whole thing, it's, you know, like, like we work with our team around like, you know, how to like great people, great process is how you scale it. You can't just work hard and be able to put out 2000 pieces of content through our clients. Like that's a process thing, not just a work ethic thing. And yeah. it kind of goes back to, you know, are we preparing for problems that don't exist yet? Mm -hmm. Right. It's like, just get busy enough and figure it out. Like you, sometimes you don't need to be that pro like, you know, there's a balance between being proactive and almost being delusional, you know? <laughs> um, and, and so, but, but I, I think there's a big piece on unbiased, you know, advice, right? When you call somebody in, it's really important. You know, we did an episode the other day for, for the other show on like, you know, getting to the bottom of the data, right? There was a study that, that we're, we're just trying to stay really close to platform evolution. And right now, you know, LinkedIn today looks really similar to Facebook 2011, like users were both around 750,000 or uh, 750 million, excuse me. Um, and then uh, what am I thinking about? Yeah, about 750 million, 40 to 50% monthly active uh, users, like involvement on a daily basis. So one in every two on Facebook, close to one in every two on, on LinkedIn are using it daily. 45% um, of articles are being read by senior leadership. One in eight users on LinkedIn is upper management. So you can kind of look through the data. The one, one big thing that's interesting right now is the average user in Facebook in 2011 was posting three times a day, about 90 a month. On LinkedIn, 39% of people have never posted, right? And so yeah. there's a big disconnection where there's more eyeballs and there are things to look at. So right. if you can mobilize talent to communicate and be involved, there's a lot of opportunity because if you can get your team to communicate and share and participate, it's way more affordable than running ads and trying to show up in the feed, allow them to build their own little digital bonfire. But yeah. It, but it also comes down to, you know, when we were looking up those data points, there was one that we came back with. And I'm always like, where's the data? Where'd you get it from? And it was like 91% of, of, uh, you know, uh, of, of, you know, 90, there was a stat that was like 91% of pe uh, people say that LinkedIn's the most trustworthy source for, uh, for, for business information. I was like, that is a crazy statistic. It cannot be true. Maybe I'm a skeptic, but then you look under and you go, you know, and you read the article and then that's sourcing another article. And then it's sourcing another article. It's like, they're just sourcing each other's articles. Nobody's getting to the actual, who is the human in this study? And then you get to the bottom of it. And it's like, we asked 256 marketing leaders where they post to establish business credibility. And I'm like, that whole thing needs to be thrown out. Right. And so 
it comes back to like what advice is being given and what's the background and foundation of the person and the company giving the advice. So for you, I'm very curious because so challenging to offer custom solutions to a number of, you know, so many clients, because from a, even cognitively it's challenging. Like you kind of have to put on a different hat. I'm like, all right, I'm now, I now run this company. How do I think operate, run different mission, different, different fabric of the, the community. How have you been able to scale that out across 40, 50 people, you know, in Insprint where they're able to be nimble in the standpoint of I'm operating the best interests of the client. It may be bespoke, it may be custom, but still move quickly to your point, offering a big firm value with the agility of a small firm that comes from the confidence to make decisions, not just having a nice piece of software, right? Mm -hmm. That's people feeling confident to make calls and move quickly. Like how have you and your partners been able to do that? It's, it's our talent, you know, I mean, nobody's going to say that their team sucks, but I have to tell you, like our team is the best. I'm sorry. But uh, we, you know, and it's so funny. It took, it took me a long time to be like, why is our team so awesome? But it has to do with the shared values. So early on in Insprint, I mean, very early on, we established our core values, have integrity, care about the greater good and get it done. And that defines all of us. And we talk about the behavior, I mean, we talk about them often and what are the behaviors that um, support those values? We have awards, we're now nominating people are gonna have our three awards at the end of the year banquet, right? Like who is living our values and why, and what are these stories that you're hearing? But it really is. So you have the right team in place and a team that you trust. You know, that's the other, one of the big things we did another survey with the team is like, what do they value the most? And it is, they call it the work-life balance. I just call it the life balance. You know, I don't think there is any work-life balance. It's all life. The balance is inside of you. Sadhguru said that, not me. But, um, you know, the, they value this balance. And the reason we can provide this balance is because we can trust our team. So we all have these shared core values. We have experienced folks who know what they're doing, know how to get it done, know how to provide excellent customer service, and they just run with it. And what they're so good at is, you're right, like Insprint has our core values, our culture, our team, but they also need to be chameleons and jump into the clients and then figure out what that feels like to be a part of that culture and that team. And they're really good at it. Um, they get in there and they listen, which I want listening with the intent to understand, not with the intent to respond. So they're really listening and understanding what those needs are. And I think that differs maybe from some of our competitors who have the framework. And it's like, I don't know what you just said, but this is how we solve your problem. <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, we don't know exactly what your problem is. Let's listen and find out. And maybe even what you think your problem is, it actually could be something else. Like we're just seeing the symptoms, but what are the root causes of those? And let's dig down deep. And really we want, we don't want to come in and set up shop. We want to solve your really hard problems and make you look awesome while we do that. And then get out and go to the next thing. Love it. Makes a lot of sense. I want to ask a couple of things that are a little bit more direct and kind of work our way through. But one thing being, I want to touch on bootstrapping the company. I think I think for this podcast and having that conversation, raising capital is so hot. It's it's like it's borderline like sexy at this point of like <laughs> totally you know, yes. you know like it's you know it's like we raise like, yeah totally <laughs> yeah it's, it's it's like a new it's like a new dress a new suit just looks good yeah. right it's like, yeah but, yeah but there's an element of being loyal to you know, building the business, you know, not having dilution, real things that after you're, you know, not every company needs funding, right? Um, 
And so I'd love to understand from your standpoint and kind of speaking to other operators that are either, you know, potentially looking to leave, like, how did you, and if it was a partner effort, right, there's two other folks involved, like, how did you guys prepare yourself to be able to boot? It was obviously not accidental. It was, you know, let's build it this way. How did you prepare to, to make it so that was a, not just a real state, um, but it was the way you could proceed. Like, how did you build that foundation of like, we're going to be able to do this? Did you have a runway? What was that like? Sure. So um, I I had had a business before and um, the business was profitable. Uh, so I did have a little bit of a runway. Uh, my two partners as well. So we invested our own capital going into it, you know, just to have something in the bank. Um, we were fortunate we were profitable the first year. Um, you know, that's not always the case. Uh, but um, the way we structured ourselves was, you know, we're, we're services, we're project-based. So it really was just kind of like one project at a time. How can we, how can we set up this next project so that we can stay, keep the lights on? Um, and then we, we made really smart decisions every year. So year one, we were slightly profitable, yay us. Um, let's put some of that away. You know, like it's like hearing your dad say, put 20% of your paycheck away right away. You know, it's just kind of like making those, you know, grown up decisions. Like how can we keep the lights on even next year? Um, and then honestly, like we, we did really good work. Our team did really good work. And so the folks that we worked with, it was just word of mouth. It was, and it was also, can you guys stay on and do another thing? We've got this thing now, or actually this was great, but this department now needs help. So, um, you know, there's, there's the idea of like the side hustle, like don't quit your day job while you're doing the side hustle. I think that's a very real thing. I think you, you know, if, if you are new to this or you're thinking about doing this, um, you have, you have to think about how it's going to work and you have to think about what that runway looks like and really realistically how much you have, you know, I'm, I'm never going to say never that we'll never take outside investment or funding. We'll never get acquired. That's not on the plans. We never talk about that. I mean, it'll, we've had offers for acquisition and we're like, whoa, wait, we're having too much fun. Um, I also think finding the right partners. Like I said, this is my second startup. My first one was just me. And I always wanted to be something bigger than myself. So my, my consulting was called Colette Allen. Those are middle names in our family. Um, Cause I had, I didn't do like Megan Newhouse LLC because I just wanted to be bigger, something, something bigger than me. I wanted a culture. Um, but I, I just, I always said I was missing that like partner to like, balance out, right? I knew what I did really well and I knew what I didn't do well. And I needed the person who did that. I didn't realize I needed two. So I found it in, in Chris and Amir. Um, and, and we work so well together. That's the other reason we're not really interested in outside funding right now, because what we're doing has worked and, and we're having fun. Um, so we're liking where it is and we're really on the cusp of something big right now. And so we're just going to kind of ride it out for the next couple of years and see what happens. Good. Good. No, I, I, um, I love it. So, so I want to talk about there, you guys had an article that came out in, um, what was it, uh, built in Chicago, built in Chai. I don't know. I'm not local. So built in. Um, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a national, but yeah, the Chicago edition. Yes. So, so there, there was a, a, a and I, I think it was your, your partner talking, but there was a couple comments in there that talked about like the pause you took to step mm-hmm. back. And I, and I think more than ever right now, it's a really important thing to kind of step back on to put a stamp in it. Like, you know, early 2020, I think that was when you made the acquisition for, was it Project Violet? Was that when you guys made that deal? So you, yeah, you, it, was, it was about a year ago, actually. So it was in the Q4. Yeah. 
so we were entering the pandemic at that point, had just closed on the acquisition to bring in, bring in that, that organization. Um, I have another topic I, I want to ask about of, of in consulting, it's easy to have egos and, and you know, people that are used to being the best, smartest in the room. want to talk in a, in a little bit about how you merge that effectively so you can create culture, not seclusion and, and things of that sort. But um, I want to talk about the pause and, and, you know, before COVID was happening, that article talks a lot about, you know, the state of feeling like every day you were just being reactive to the state of affairs, what was coming in had to be handled. And there wasn't much thought from a proactive standpoint of, you know, what are we doing three, six, nine, 12 months out? How are we building something? And, uh, you know, I'd love to understand, because I'm sure people listening and other operators are at the point now where they're, they're seeing in their staff, there's some Zoom fatigue. They're sitting mm-hmm. there saying, we haven't had in-person connections more than a couple little, you know, maybe a happy hour or something like that. And we're losing grasp of the state of that, that emotional bank, that emotional battery life, right? And this was more of a strategic pause, it seemed like. But in general, I do think a lot of companies are, are not, you know, they, they need to develop the muscle of how do we step back? How do we look at things? And there's certain indicators for you, I'm sure, that were like, huh, we need to step back and kind of evaluate some things and make sure we're doing this right. When you were in that point in 2020, what were those indicators that helped you and your other founders realize, I think we may need to step back and evaluate certain things so that whatever we're doing, it's sustainable. Yeah. So uh, you're being very generous, Jeremy. It was, it was, um, it was a forced pause because of the pandemic. So as a services organization, as consultants, we, you know, go to clients and help uh, pandemic hit and folks were trying to figure out what to do with their own staff, let alone bringing in outside vendors, um, at least at least people we were working with. We also, I mean, even prior to that, one of our uh, biggest clients had started even prior to COVID, which is so interesting, but had started kind of shutting some things down and having their own internal reorganization. And um, we lost some work that we had planned on for them. So tail end of 2019 and going into 2020, we were already kind of seeing like, hmm, you know, we have been on fire. And I think that happens, you know, when you have early success in a startup and um, what we had been seeing, it was just kind of go, go, go. And our own, you know, we're like providing these world-class solutions to our clients and our own internal, you know, I'm like, don't look behind the curtain. Like everything's duct taped together and we got, you know, all these spaghetti noodles and what process? Oh, is there a process? Where's all our documentation? Uh, whereas we, like, if we got to a client, we'd be like, oh, what a mess. You know, <laughs> for us, it was, it was the same story. So honestly, like um, having that pause was frightening as, as an owner. Um, having people on our payroll that we were responsible for. So we had a series of steps that we took before we were like, we got to shut, shut down. And we never had to, thank goodness. Um, but, you know, the partners reinvested back in the company, stopped our own payroll, et cetera. Um, during that time, though, we had a lot of really talented people on the bench, as you would say. So we're like, hey, guys, what do you want to work on? And it was like, okay, let's get our shop in order. So we had that time to take that world-class solution that we normally be putting out there and, and bring it back inside. Um, so I'd say, you know, for we're continuing that now though. So we're busier than we've ever been. So that mindset is continuing. So if we're, if we're looking at folks that are doing this right now and not feeling like they have the time to focus on that, you've got to find the time. I'm telling you owners, leaders of these companies, um, you have to set aside time to plan and you have to do that regularly. That can't be like a once a year thing. Um, it has to be an ongoing thing. Have just some sort of regular cadence that you put into place. Um, have the right people in the room. You don't need everybody all the time. Make really strategic decisions on the conversations you need to 
have and with whom and when. Um, but and, and then you also need to be flexible, right? So we do have a one, three, five year vision laid out that we set out this year. So we're really busy, but we set aside, we've had now two week long planning sessions and we have a third coming up here um, where we're looking at it, but you also have to have like the what ifs in there as well. Right. Um, but if you don't do that, you're gonna end up where we were <laughs> a couple, you know, before the pandemic. And we we got lucky, I think. I mean, I would never say that a global pandemic was lucky, but we that that disruption gave us the time we needed to get in order for this next stage of growth. I I saw, um, I don't remember what the, the video clip was, but it was, it was basically something along the lines of, um, you don't know if a situation is good or bad until you see what happens next. <laughs> sure. You know, yeah. and, and so it makes, I mean, look, you, you guys use the opportunity really well. You know, it sounds like it was, it was brutal, but it's impressive to work through. Obviously things are, are going well, you know, I, w- I want to talk a little bit about like how, how do companies force that into their plan, right? We talk, you know, we literally, you know, Steph and I and, and um, one of our other folks like had a call literally today about like how we fit in, you know, training development into the ecosystem of client services, our own development and that because like if we're not training and develop, like one of our principles is like if you're going to be on the, the, the battlefield, you got to keep your blade sharp, so to speak. Marketing, yeah. you know, you can't really afford to be outdated. Our job is go find the customer and spend time with them and learn how they acquire information, communicate with peers and buy things. If we're two years out of date, then it co- that costs clients money, not just us, right? Mm-hmm. So we have to stay sharp, but how do you fit in time for training and development? For, like, for companies, Fortune 200, I mean, you may have 20, 30 decision makers involved that you're trying to mobilize change and, and build coalitions. You're trying to you know, bring ideas in and systems and get adoption. How do you help them understand the value of again, parking time for, you know, for, for planning and strategic development when they may not be doing that, right? Because there's st- companies going from nothing to something, something that isn't working, needing improvement to something, and then people that are doing it, but want to take it to the next level. Are you working with some, gr- some aspect of all three of those? Or are you primarily working with the folks that they're doing nothing and they need to go to something? No, we've got, we've got a wide variety. We have um, folks that are, have started something or have an idea of, you know, what they want to do. And then we have, yeah, people that have no idea where to start. So how how do they, let's, let's talk to somebody that's, you know, they have people to report to, right. Mm -hmm. They're trying to justify allocation of resources and time year end conversation, right. They're sitting there saying, we need more time to do this, this, and this. Like, how do you approach having that conversation if you're not ready or you can't get the buy-in to bring somebody in? Like, if you're that champion, how do you kind of ready the team to start to turn the ship a bit when you know that it's not going to take a week, it's going to take a while? You know, what's that process look like? So there's, I mean, you have to prove yourself. So data is king, right? So um, we find that if we have people that, aren't quite sure how to go about it. We, we typically just propose like a quick little pilot, like, let us, let us come in, let us show you what we can do six weeks, you know, won't cost an arm and a leg. And if you like it, if it works, we can come in and do more. Um, I think about people who need to prove it for budget, for leadership data. So you think about like, what's the cost of doing this, but then the flip is what is the cost if we don't do this? You know, I mean, it's that, that old saying, like, uh, the CFO and the CEO, or the CFO is like, uh, why would we pay all this money to train them when they could just leave? And it was like, do we really want them to stay if we don't, <laughs> if, right. if they don't have all of this, you know, knowledge? So um, it's just, it really, it's like, what's the cost? And it takes a long time, I think, to get some people 
on board, but there, unfortunately, there's like a crisis. There's something that happens. It's like, oh my gosh, now we need this. Actually, we needed this yesterday. That's often where we come in, to be honest, Jeremy. It's like everything's on fire. Um, come put it out. <laughs> They'll run with that though. So, so what are those trigger events typically? Is it turnover and they're like, oh man, we we need people and it's not a fit? Is it they're trying to justify cost and a CFO says, we're not paying for that software anymore. And they're like, oh my, the whole thing's going to break. Like, what are the events where somebody says we need help? Yeah, DL, DL of the above. Um, out, you know, end of life software that we probably should have started looking at what the replacement was going to be a year ago. Um, uh, you know, so there's an agile way of working now. And that's an, an agile methodology, lean agile, you'll hear these words. Um, and there's organizations that hear about this and know that they should be doing it. So they try to do it, but they don't really know how to do it. And then they start doing it the old way, which would be known as waterfall. And um, they're doing some sort of hybrid and in the project is completely failing. And uh, so then it's like, well, okay, we actually missed deadlines or, you know, it's costing all of this money. Um, generally it has to do around cost. And, and then it's, it costs more money to bring in consultants to help fix the solution. Whereas if you can be, you know, if you can plan for it more, if you can be more forward thinking, more strategic, look ahead. But I think this is my hypothesis and, and tell me if you want to challenge me, but I believe back in 2008-ish uh, when, you know, we had um, all of those busts and bubbles and um, people were being laid off by, you know, the hundreds, I think people then started doing the job of one and a half to two people at that time. Couple in with that, the acceleration of technology and, and smartphones, and now that we're an always on culture. So I think even at the highest level, people are doing the job of two, three people at any given time. They don't have the time to like look around. They're just so busy trying to get their stuff done that they can't be as strategic as maybe they once could have been. Um, and so I think, that, I think that causes issues. I mean, there's just so much as a leader to consider now, really. I mean, we're so disrupted and the future of work looks completely different. We are in a revolution right now. And leaders who are like digging in on like the details of everything are missing out on really where that vision and strategy needs to be. How do we help those leaders that, that maybe have never spent a minute on emotional intelligence? They're focusing solely on deadlines, KPIs, and the the, the the things that end up in a spreadsheet instead of maybe well-being, like what do we do? Because it feels like an organ, you know, we, when I talk to a lot of consultants, whether it's change management, management consulting, however they structure or label it, I kind of always look at it like our phones, you know, our phones get an update whenever Apple or, you know, they want to push it. And I feel yeah. like from a corporate standpoint, whether it's marketing or it's HR, there's there's been this update reminder to the company of the operating system of the business. And everybody keeps, not everybody, a lot of people keep remind me later. And it's like, you, like you're basically pushing remind me later to your people that are saying, I'm not, I don't feel a sense of belonging. I don't feel a sense of, of being um, cared for. Right. And, but it's, Again, at some point, they have to stop hitting remind me later and say, it's time to make the update. How, what do we do about that? How do, the, how do uh, companies help those people? I love that analogy, Jeremy. That's awesome. 
I ask myself that question every single day. So at Insprint, we recently read the book Think Again by Adam Grant. And I swear out of every, I mean, it was such a great book, really, you know, thought provoking, but there's just like one line in there that just dug into me. And it's about um, like the DISC assessment. So that's like a communication style assessment, something we actually provide to our clients. And he said something to the effect of um, people who do not agree with their results on the DISC assessment will say that it's wrong and they won't like try to fix it. And it's the same with like these EQ assessments, right? If they don't agree with what the results say, they think that the assessment is flawed and they would never put in the time to make the changes and make the fixes that they need to make. So I honestly think it's like helping an addict, like jerky leaders <laughs> need to like, uh, or not evolved leaders or not emotional intelligence leaders, like something needs to happen for them to hit, hit rock bottom and be like, oh, I need to make a change. Like I could come in and coach you all day long and tell you how you could be a more efficient leader. Your team is leaving. Why are they leaving? You know, here's feedback that people are giving you about your leadership style. But until they go, oh, I need to make a change. I don't think they will. And that, I mean, that breaks my little people loving heart over here. Um, but you can't force people to change. You see that with addicts. You see that with, you know, people who have unhealthy lifestyle habits, you know, et cetera. Like until the human being decides something in them needs to change, they need to stop hitting remind me later. I don't think there's anything that any one person or, or series of people could tell them to make that change. Yeah, it's it's tough because at this point, especially virtual, we spend so much time alone that it's hard to, you know, back to like, you know, wanting a sense of, of belonging and work you're enjoying. It's like, if you don't enjoy it, you can't lie about it anymore. Like you're sitting in a home office, you're in your home. Maybe there's kids and family in the other room, but at the end of the day, you are more with your own thoughts than ever before. So if you don't want to do the work, it's so difficult because the office chatter can't, eh, well, I, I, I saw Bob, I saw Sarah. It was a fun day, even if I didn't get things done because there's a sense of camaraderie and connectivity. We don't have that as much anymore. And so even more, you fall back into those habits um, where you know, the, the thing I'm always curious about though is, you know, sometimes when we work on the marketing front, it, you know, it's like, you know, there's something that just like, they don't see it and that's okay. But there's the conversation of, is this a good fit then? Right. You know, and in this environment, it's challenging because if somebody isn't willing to adopt and, and evolve their style, then in some essence, it's like, how do you, how do you judge that and assess that from a, you know, let me ask you a, a direct question for companies in that size that are maybe doing, you know, annual performance reviews and, or quarterly reviews where the concept of performance and feedback isn't always on the table. So that person is only getting four pieces of information a year, like, are there baby steps that they can make to move forward where the conversation of that update and being more dynamic and agile and focusing on different things, can that make an improvement or does it really need to be, they need to fall and figure it out or could doing weekly conversations where it's breaking the model of, we're not going to do this once a year. We're going to talk every week about how we did, what we do, what we can improve on, what I can improve on as a man. And it's just kind of yeah. a 360 approach. Like, are there small things they can do or do they just need to fall? <laughs> no, I, th I think that's great. And I think that um, I, when I think about these people in leadership positions that shouldn't be there, that aren't great people leaders, but have somehow made their way into that position. I also think about their peers and I think about, you know, the people that have, have gotten them to that position. I do think that they have some responsibility 
for like what you're saying, providing that regular feedback. Um, and I, I absolutely, I mean, feedback should be happening all the time. So there's something to that where there's like a culture of feedback. So if you're at an organization where people are only getting feedback four times a year, or even just once a year at that more formal end of year performance review, um, again, I would, I would call on the leadership to be more intentional about a culture that provide that, that looks at feedback as a way to improve as a gift you know, in Sprint, we say, I'm giving you this feedback. And then the understood piece is because I care about you. Um, you know, I think it's important for me to share this with you. We actually literally last week, we had a lunch and learn for the team about the feedback formula and the best way to give feedback. So I think that it's it's on leadership. I mean, you always, you know, I, I bring it back to leadership all the time because I do think they set the tone, the culture, uh, the expectations, you have to walk the talk. Um, so I, you know, I didn't, I didn't mean to sound so hopeless because I really am like the eternal no. optimist. I do think that there is hope for leaders, but they, they have to know that they need to change. And how do we do that? Sure. It could be through regular conversations, regular feedback, um, yeah. just be like giving them really cold, hard data that says everyone on your team is saying you need to change. <laughs> what do you think about that? <laughs> it's, it's interesting. And I think a lot of people are inclined to say, well, they've been with us five years, give them time. And I'm as loyal as it gets. Right. Um, but there is an element of some of these intangibles are so necessary in this new dynamic and it's so not going anywhere. Um, so look, we, we have, you know, 10 minutes or so left. Um, I, I want to touch on building, uh, building teams with people that, I mean, look from your standpoint with Inspire, like as the people are as good as it gets, when you make an acquisition, you merge talent, when you're at a fortune 200 company, you know, there, there are 20, 30 stakeholders that are there and every one of them is at the top of their game. You know, what, you know, kind of two part one is how do you mobilize these types of things, build coalitions, you know, how do you help bring these companies where there may be 20 stakeholders involved in it and you have to kind of piece it together because you're, you know, one person isn't going to be able to say yes for everybody. So one question is, how do you get involved in these companies and learn how they work so that you can effectively, you know, implement change in a way that's sustainable so you can step away and they can sustainably continue to deliver the outcomes they're looking for? What does that look like? Like how, what, what can companies expect when you guys are getting involved, knowing all of them are kind of different? We, we just become part of the team. You know, we, I, I always joke about the Bob's from office space. Like we are by no means, we're not going to like set up in the back conference room and be like, so what is it that you do here? <laughs> you know, right. we really, we, we become part of the team and, and, you know, you talk about those shared core values. You mentioned ego earlier, Jeremy, about, you know, the traditional, some of the traditional professional services organizations. We can say, and we say it over and over again, like there's no ego on our team. It's so interesting. There's no ego. We spend a lot of time talking about emotional intelligence and what it means to show up in that way and to have those different facets. Um, so with that, then I think we can show up really authentically as ourselves and, and create that trust with our clients. And so we just become kind of, you know, that it's a very consultancy saying, but that trusted advisor where we are really part of the team. We'll come in, we'll, we'll meet people where they are. So how do you normally, you know, get together? Let us just come kind of listen in and be a part of that. It's again, we don't come in and be like, this is the way it's done. This is the way we did it over here. It worked over here. So it's going to work for you guys. Just listen. It's more like just, we kind of, you know, we're very, humble and like, thank you for letting us into your home. We're just going to be here in the corner, just kind of checking things out. And it takes time. It really takes time, but, um, we are just there and we find that our clients like 
call us and like, we're having this issue with this so-and-so and can you help? And um, it's, it's investing the time and it's dropping the ego and it's, um, we're there to help. We're there to provide value. Um, we're not there to make money. Uh, we are there to uh, really give back and, you know, solve a problem. That person reached out or that team reached out because they need something. And so we're there to help with that. You know, it's just a mindset. It really is. Um, and I think that's, you know, you, you have to leave your ego at the door and you have to, it's not all about the profits. It's about if genuinely, I mean, if you're in this to help people, that's what it is for us. Of course. So let's close out with, with a couple of things. One being, you know, what are the certain things that you are thinking about heading into the new year, right? This episode will come out probably, you know, next week. Um, you know, so when we look at like early November, 60 days out from new year, like what are some things you're thinking about when it comes to more so the clients you're interacting with, these larger organizations in particular that are on their to-do list for 2022 and, you know, things that maybe weren't there 2021 at the start of the year that are starting to become more important. Um, what's kind of top of mind for you, Meg, when it comes to like new year conversations and, you know, what's happening? Yeah, and we're having those already. So with Inspirant, we, in September, we spent a week in strategy sessions um, thinking about our clients. So we took each of our clients and we broke down, you know, we got the teams that are working there, even if they're not on the same projects, but they all know the client in different areas, um, our stakeholders, and talking about observations and then coming up with a plan that we wanted to present back to them for 2022. Here's what we've observed. Here's how Inspirant's helped this year. Here's how we think we can provide more value for you next year. So um, we're trying to help them based on what we're seeing as kind of the outside, you know, like outside looking in, we can say, well, this is what we're seeing. And this, this is where we think we can help. Of course, I mean, this is no surprise is talent right now. Um, you know, People, like you said, people are home, they're with their thoughts. If the job isn't what they want the job to be and they don't have the distraction of, I think you said Bob and Susan or whoever it was at the water cooler, right? Um, they're, you know, they're like, what else can I do? If, if they're being forced to go back into the office and they're like, I just proved to you for the last 20 months that I can do this job from my, you know, kitchen table. Why on earth do I need to go back in and add another two and a half hour commute when I'm just going to be sitting in an office not interacting with everybody? Right. I mean, that's a huge one. And the unevolved companies and the unevolved leaders that are making their teams go back in without even thinking about it are going to see big, 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 big declines, especially you think about like end of year bonuses and stuff. So you might be like, oh, we made it. We're good. Just wait. <laughs> Just wait. You think there's um, going to be a, a large, a large exodus in, in the Q1 of the year after people hit that year end bonus? Sure. Sure. And I, you know, I don't know how many, I mean, pre-COVID, I don't know if I don't have the stats right now, but I know like people aren't really hiring around the holidays. So I think hiring will probably slow as these changes are happening. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's changed, yeah. but then new year starts, people are going to be ready to, to get going again on that. So yeah, I do think Q1, we're going to see a lot of shifts. Good. I think, I think it's going to be exciting to see, but I, I, this is not, you know, going away. Virtual is how it is. Managers need to learn how to kind of figure out how to invest in make, helping people work well together. Also, in this end, we, we didn't get to talk too, too much about, but you know, for, the, for those listening, for those watching, it's like the employees are much more in the driver's seat than ever before. They 
are going to have their own journey, their own process. And statistically what, you know, millennials are only at a job 16, 18 months, I think it's something like that. So, so when you look at the data, it's like they're, you are a part of their journey, not the other way around. Right. So figuring out a little bit more about like, where are you on in your path, whether you're here two years, four years, nine years, whatever it may be, like, what are you looking for? What are you good at? What are you curious about? And how, what do we need help with? What do our clients need help with? And how does that come together? And if you can articulate that on the front end when they're acquired and they're onboarded and everybody kind of knows where they're valued, how they're playing a role, then you can do incredible things. But the old model of just, we need to find people, put them in roles, put them in seats, give them a check and tell them what to do every week. Like it's gone. It's, gone. it's not coming back. It's totally gone. I heard yesterday I was on um, a panel for the Hacking HR conference, and um, there's a gentleman from IBM who talked about the concept of the employee as the customer, and that resonated so much with me. It's so true. You know, it's uh, what I say to our team all the time is thank you for choosing to share your talent with us because they really could go anywhere. Because we've got, like I said, we've got the best and the brightest. We have some really great people. We've got people that are choosing between a lot of or other organizations, yet they come to choose to share their talent with us. And we're so fortunate for that. And anything I can do to keep up, <laughs> you just let me know what you need. And I, that I, I believe that should be the mentality of any organization. I do. And I think HR is starting to become a, not just a prominent role, but it is, it is way more valued at the C-suite than I think ever before. And so I'm excited to see how it plays. Um, Meg, th thanks for sharing some time. Obviously it's busy and, and never been busier, which is a good thing. Anything to close out on, anything top of mind for you or um, otherwise, how can people find you? Give us, I'll give you a little bit to plug and play. Yeah, thank you. So, I, I mean, my last food for thought, it's something that I like to share a lot is just, you know, when you're thinking about being foundational and what that looks like, I really think you need to know yourself. And since we have more time than ever alone, I would use that time valuably, like, right? People tend to check out, distract themselves, especially if things are going on. But I'd say like, deal with those emotions, deal with that baggage, deal with your history, whatever it is, in order for you to be truly successful in what you want to do in your life, whatever success looks like to you, you have to figure all of that out. So define your values, take care of your baggage, and then you can move forward. So that's my last plug. Um, find me on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm on there a bit. Uh, apparently that's the 91% <laughs> where you yeah. get your, your best yeah. business information. So. The place to be, you do, uh, you do li live stuff pretty consistently, right? Like, I feel like that's yeah, where you every, I, started, I started doing like a Monday musings with Mag. That's at 10 AM central every Monday. If you want to be a guest, let me know. I'd love to have you on. I go by Meg, but I'm Megan Newhouse. So you can find me on LinkedIn and I would love to connect. I'm always happy to connect with people. So, cool. um, yeah. Thank Thanks. you for, for sharing some time, everybody. Um, you'll see the information inside the episode when it drops, uh, it'll probably go live Tuesday. Um, we'll share it with you, but, but other than that, um, look, the things are changing and, and it's not one of those, it'll be back. We, we need to stop really the new normal conversation. It's the state of the market and it is happening, you know? Yeah. And so it's going to require new tools. It's going to require a new mindset. It's going to require a new way of working with people because if you are pushing upstream, you are going to get tired very fast. Right. And yeah. so with that in mind, thank you all for stopping by. Uh, we have more, so stay tuned. We'll be back. Hey there, it's me again. I just want to say thank you so much for spending time with us today. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. Before you go, it'd mean the world to me and the team if you would rate the show, subscribe, leave a review, show some love, and we'll see you next time.